Oh my goodness, I am so excited to be here today. I am feeling, I, I can't, I've already cried four times this morning. I'm telling you right now, Morgan's got me twice with the spoken word. Oh my goodness, and, and I, I woke up this morning and I just thought about this past year and I thought about everything that's happened and everywhere we've been and, and everything that we've gone through as a people and I just thought about the resurrection and the victory that it means. And so we are just so honored to be here with you. If it's your first time joining us, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. I hope that somebody made you feel at home today. We're honored. If you're watching us online this morning, welcome. We're so grateful to have you with us as well. Happy Easter to you. I hope you still got your Easter outfit on this morning. Even if you're still watching online, I hope that you put on a sport coat, maybe a seersucker. If you got any seersucker at home, a bow tie, I don't know. But happy Easter. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. If it's your first Sunday, we'd love to know you were here. And so uh, if you'll go either outside right after service to our What's Next table, and we've got Connect cards, and you can say hi to somebody and fill out a Connect card there, or you can text CONNECT to 828-826-1414, and we'll send you a virtual Connect card and just give us a little information. We'd just love to be able to say thanks for coming and, and to give you a gift and say, hey, thank you for being here. So thank you for being here on Easter Sunday. Well, I love this day. I love spring. I love that Easter is in the spring, right on the spring equinox. It's no coincidence. The day that we celebrate Easter is also the day we see new life coming up from death. We see the, the fresh sprouts coming up out of the ground in the woods. We see the, the trees are starting to spring forward with some leaves. We see all the, the little animals going around. It's a great time of year. I love it. I love that we celebrate Easter in the spring. And it, I, I think it, it just hits a little bit different this year, doesn't it? Isn't spring hitting a little bit different this year? I don't know about you, but I feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel for the first time in a long time. We're starting to see things go in the right direction. The numbers are looking good. We're seeing less and less infection. The pandemic just maybe might come to some sort of a conclusion here sometime in the future, and, and that feels really good. Honestly, it feels like we're in a winning season right now. It feels like there are some wins to celebrate, and there's nothing better than living in a winning season when things start going right. The Passion Week of Jesus begins on Palm Sunday with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and he would come into great fanfare. It's quite the scene. Look at Matthew 28 verse 8 says, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread those on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus had been traveling around healing people and teaching this message of love and forgiveness and grace, and it had become very popular. He had fed people on numerous occasions now, and people love a free meal, and so he'd become very popular. People were showing up. They were celebrating. They made a carpet for him to enter into the city of Jerusalem on. They were worshiping his name, but in just four days, everything changed. It's amazing how quickly our lives can go from a winning season to a losing season, isn't it? isn't it? Isn't it always staggering when it happens because it's so sudden? The Pharisees spent the week sowing seeds of discord about Jesus throughout the city of Jerusalem. And on Thursday night, they arrested him and brought him to trial for blasphemy. 
By Friday morning, Jesus was appearing before the Roman governor Pilate, the only man in the city who had the authority to put Jesus to death. Matthew 27, 15 says this. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew that it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. But they answered, Barabbas. Well, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him, crucify him. Why? What crimes has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, Hosanna in the highest, to crucify him in just a few days. Jesus came into Jerusalem with followers numbering in the hundreds, sometimes the thousands. But now in this moment, as the crowd shouts, crucify him, even his 12 closest friends couldn't be found. They'd scattered, they'd hid, they were gone. He was alone. A losing season can be a lonely season. It can feel like we've been left, forgotten, abandoned. I'm not a big sports guy. But I have been a casual sports fan long enough to notice something. I've been a Clemson Tigers fan for my whole life. Any Clemson Tigers in here? Clemson Tigers fans uh, who haven't come on board in the last few, nobody, by the way. All right, great. Okay, haven't come on board in the last few years. Uh, Remember, there was an era that was the Tommy Bowden era of Clemson Tigers football. If you don't know, Tommy Bowden is the worst coach in the history of the game. And Tommy Bowden's seasons of Clemson football were marked by momentum and loss. Momentum and loss. It would always happen in the third or fourth quarter. Clemson would just start losing and they wouldn't be able to stop losing. And I went to a few Clemson football games during that season. I noticed something. The game would always start out full. 80,000 people wearing orange, screaming, go Tigers. But somehow, around the third or fourth quarter in the second half, when Clemson would lose steam, when they would begin losing, by the fourth quarter, that stadium would be bleeding orange. And it would end with no more Clemson fans. It would empty out the stadium as soon as they started losing. I noticed the same thing uh, outside of Clemson. When I was in the Coast Guard, I was stationed in St. Petersburg, Florida for a few years. I lived close to the Tampa Bay Rays baseball field. I had went to a few uh, games, and the first year that I lived there, the Rays had literally never been a good f- baseball team. They were not good. They had not won a lot of games. They didn't have any notable players. Nobody went. If the Yankees or the Red Sox were playing full stadium, if they were not empty, always easy to find seats. But I noticed something in those sporting events. I noticed that people are very predictable. In a losing season, we hide, we withdraw, we lose interest, we leave, we feel alone, we feel left behind, we feel abandoned. But in a winning season, we show up, we celebrate, we have courage, we want to be seen, we feel connected and supported. Clemson got Dabo Sweeney and started winning football games. And now that stadium is sold out, filled up every game all the way to the very end. The Rays, the last year that I lived there, went to the World Series. And about halfway through that 199-game season, however long they play baseball, it's too long, they started to have full stadiums over and over and over again. People show up for a winning season. We've always been predictable like this. In a losing season, we run. And in a winning season, we're there. Jesus experienced that. 
Jesus was led out of this trial with Pilate and he was flogged nearly to death. That means he was beaten with a whip until there was almost nothing left. And after that, they mocked him. They put a, a, a crown of thorns on his head and they wrapped his bloody, barren back in a cloth and they began to worship him in, in a mocking way, pretending that he was the king. Never felt like the same people who celebrated with you in your wins are those same ones who showed up to kick you while you were down? And they put a hundred pound cross on his, wooden on his wounded shoulders and had him march through an angry crowd through the city. And at the top of a hill called the Skull, the King of Kings, the Maker of the Earth, the perfect Lamb of God, was nailed to a cross. In Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. At about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling to Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. They were mocking him on the cross. They didn't know. They had no idea what was happening. As they were mocking Jesus, opposing him, standing against him, they had no idea what he was doing on that cross. That every mistake that they had ever made, every mistake you and I have ever made, was with Jesus on that cross. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew 27, 50 says, When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. The soldiers pierced him in the side to make certain that he was dead. And then he was taken down off of that cross and laid in a borrowed tomb. Friday night, Jesus went into the tomb, and Saturday morning, everything was quiet. And this is what a losing season can feel like to us, that Saturday in the tomb kind of hopelessness. What's tomorrow look like? Who will be there? How will I get through it? How will I survive it? What will I do? Maybe that's the spot you're in today. Maybe you feel forgotten, abandoned, alone, unseen. Maybe you've gone through loss after loss after loss after loss. Maybe it wasn't just 2020. Maybe 2020 was the icing on the cake of a lifetime filled with loss and pain. And in this losing season, you feel like the whole world has turned on you and you are all alone. Maybe you feel empty. Losing seasons tend to do that to us. They make us feel alone. Losing seasons also tend to make us leave. We leave our friends. We hide out from our families. We shut ourselves off to the world around us. On the Saturday after the crucifixion, the whole world was in a losing season. But then Sunday morning happened. Luke 24, verse 1. 
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene were going to finalize the loss. They had no expectation that Jesus was going to do anything but remain in the grave. And so they were going to go fulfill the the Jewish burial rites. They were going to finish the embalming process of the body in order that he might be done, that it might be over, that he might remain buried. They did not know what was about to happen. Now, Jesus told them more than once what he was going to do, but they, they didn't hear it. They didn't receive it. They didn't understand it. All they saw was a loss. But when they got to the tomb, there was no loss for them to finalize. In Luke chapter 24, verse 2, it says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Jesus is alive. He took your sin and mine into that tomb with him, and he left it there. He came out instead with the keys to death in his hands. When he was in that tomb, there was nobody left to sing Hosanna. Nobody left to praise him, to worship him, to lay their cloaks down at his feet. Within 40 days, there would be hundreds And then one day, the disciples, after Jesus had ascended into heaven and told them, I'm sending one to you, and it's even better for you that he should come than I should remain. It's better that you should have this spirit that is following than me in my physical presence here. I'm sending my Holy Spirit to you. And so the disciples are waiting for the Holy Spirit, and they're in a a room in Jerusalem, the very same city that was shouting, crucify him, crucify him, just a month before. And as they're in that room, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven and fills the followers of Jesus. And Peter, who is now filled with the Holy Spirit, goes out onto a balcony or a porch or front steps, and he, he addresses this huge crowd of people who are waiting to see what will happen next. And he speaks to them and says, what you called a loss has become a victory. And it's time for you to repent and follow Jesus. And here's what the Bible says in Acts 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And after that, the crowds just kept coming back. There was a victory to celebrate, and people were coming to celebrate it. Within a century or so, there would be about a million believers all throughout the earth. And the thing that changed everything, that shifted the momentum forever, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Sunday morning took the world, took all of us, from a losing season to a winning season in just a moment. The resurrection gave us victory over death and the forgiveness of sins and freedom from everything that's been holding us captive and peace. And it gave us joy and it gave us hope. And not hope in the way that the world has hope, something that fluctuates and moves and comes and goes, but hope that is everlasting. Hope that is always there for us to cling to in our darkest moments. To know the truth of the resurrection is to know victory. To live in the power of the resurrection is to live in a perpetual winning season. I don't know what you've endured over the last year or the last years. But maybe you came in here today after, after a loss, after a losing season, after a, a lifetime filled with loss, 
with some last-ditch effort in order to find peace, in order to find hope, in order to gain a win. Because we all needed a win after the last year that we had. This resurrection is the win you've been looking for. In every season, in every hard time, in every easy time. And it's not a win that comes and goes. It's steady and it changes everything. If the last year has left you feeling alone, left behind in all the losing, you don't have to be alone anymore. And you don't have to hide anymore or withdraw anymore because in the season where we all need one, you can have a win. You can take the win of the resurrection as your own. And here in this church, you can find an imperfect community of forgiven people who will come alongside you through every one of life's wins and losses to remind you of the win that keeps us going. If you've been in a losing season, take this with you today. First, the resurrection equals victory. The resurrection equals victory victory. Stay focused on this win. There are going to be losses. You will still go through losing seasons and winning seasons in your life, but you will always have a victory to celebrate no matter what that means. Paul is our chief example of this. In Philippians 1:21, he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul couldn't be stopped. Paul's life was marked with suffering and pain. He was beaten nearly to death more than once. He was arrested. He was buried. He was shipwrecked. He got bitten by snakes. Snakes had to be involved. Paul had it all go wrong. He spent years in jail. But no matter what happened, he never, ever lost sight of the victory. They would say, hey, we're going to throw you in jail. And he'd be like, that's great, because I think those people in there really are in desperate need of the hope of the resurrected Jesus. I can't wait. They said, well, we're going to kill you. And he'd say, well, that's great. I wish you would because I've been having a trouble deciding if I should stay here or go to heaven. And you could just solve that problem for me right now. Thank you very He couldn't be stopped. He was perpetually celebrating victory. And we can do the same. Paul makes the point that even though his life was filled with suffering and loss, he considered it a win because he was living in the power of the resurrection. When I was young, I dealt with very serious depression. It felt like my life was one loss after another and like nothing would ever change that. I had a, a lot of stress at work that I didn't know how to control or how to communicate or what to do with it, where to put it. I didn't have very many positive relationships in my life because I had pushed them all away. I had a, a poor self-image that I had been developing for a very, very long time. I felt alone. I felt worthless. I felt like my life was never going to amount to anything other than losing. And so I attempted to take my own life. I couldn't see any hope of anything good ever coming from my life. And I was tired of feeling that way. So I attempted to take my life, but that attempt failed. And on the other side of that, I felt more hopeless than ever. I can't even do this right. But I know what it feels like to live through a losing season without a hope of victory. I know what it feels like. 
If you're in here today and you have gone through a losing season and you have felt like there is no hope of it ever getting better, I understand. I know what that feels like. I've lived that day. I've lived through those moments. I've seen how bad it can be. Six weeks later, I gave my life to Jesus and I am forever changed because the resurrection is forever my victory. And even when life is marked by loss, now I have a win to celebrate. And the win that I have is bigger than any loss that this life can throw my way. I have two daughters, Eleanor and Dagny. My three-year-old Dagny has type 1 diabetes. And if you don't know much about it, it means that she has to have insulin all day long, every day for the rest of her life in order to stay alive. When she was 15 months old, one of her major organs, her pancreas, just stopped working. And we didn't, my wife and I didn't know anything about diabetes. We didn't know the signs were, the symptoms were. We just thought she was tired. We didn't know why she was so thirsty. We just knew she was getting sick. And so we, one day, after Saturday morning prayer, during 21 days of prayer, took her to her doctor to see if, if she had a, a virus or, or a, a fever or anything like that. And... When we got there, the doctor immediately took her blood sugar, which I didn't know what he was doing. And then he left the room and left me and her in there for a few minutes. He came back in and said, they're preparing a room for you in the children's ICU at Mission. I need you to go there immediately. I was like, what? Okay. So I got in my car and I took my daughter to the ICU and nurse met us outside. I thought, what is happening? We got there just in time. It turned out that we were just a few hours away from losing her. But thanks to the good doctors and medicine at Mission Hospital, we didn't. But our lives were changed forever that day. I woke up that morning thinking my daughter had a cold that would pass. That night, I had to come to terms with the fact that one of her vital organs would not work again. That everything that passed her lips, food or drink, I was going to have to keep track of it, count it, do a math equation to understand how much insulin she would need, and then give her that insulin in the form of a shot, and that would happen every day forever. If you've never dealt with serious illness or loss in your children, it is hard to articulate the words, the anger, the sadness, the helplessness. It was a losing season. That night I was driving home from the hospital to go tuck our daughter Eleanor in and try to explain to her what was going on with her sister and I just remember crying and yelling in the car and feeling overwhelmed and just saying it's not fair and begging God that I would go back and it would just be over, that it wouldn't be the same, that it, she'd be okay, that I wouldn't have to go through this, that she wouldn't have to go through this. And I was listening to Bethel's a worship album called Victory, and a song came on called The Goodness of God, and the words in that song say, all my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good. So with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And I cannot, I cannot explain to you the peace that took hold in my heart in that moment, the hope, the joy. 
I felt joy driving home from this hospital as my daughter, my youngest daughter, was in there. I'm just telling you this story because I want you to know that I know what it feels like to go through a losing season with no hope, and I know what it feels like to go through a losing season with a win to hold on to. It makes all the difference. That's the power of the resurrection. That's how it gives us a win in every season. That's what it means to have victory even in your worst days. I understood in that moment that whether it happens in her lifetime or not, it may, that because of Jesus, one day Dagny could be healed completely. And I know what it feels like to know there is a better day ahead, no matter what this day brings. No matter what happens to us in this lifetime, Jesus offers us peace, he offers us victory, he offers us hope, and he is preparing us a place in the next life. The resurrection equals victory in every season. And if you're in here today and you're, you're ready to receive that message, I've got another one for you. You still belong here. You still belong here. Just because you've been through a losing season doesn't mean you have to sit in an empty stadium. That's what the church is all about. It's about having a place to belong in every season and a family to go through wins and losses alongside. Sometimes it's hard to remember that the resurrection equals victory in every season. I believe the church is the community God left us to help remind us of that. It would have been really difficult for me to get through that season, to keep hope in my heart, to keep joy in my heart without the church, without people, to come next to me, alongside me, to, to go through it with me, some days just to mourn with me, some days to offer peace and hope in their words to me, some days just to sit with me. That's what the church gets to do, to remind us of the victory we have in Christ because we are all living it out together. After the resurrection, everything changed for the church, for the followers of Jesus. They wouldn't go through life alone anymore. Right after the story in Acts of 3,000 people joining the church, it says this. When we formed this church, we wanted it to be built around this passage. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, that word fellowship, that's an old churchy word, isn't it? I grew up in a church that had a fellowship hall. Anybody been to the fellowship hall? Who's been to the fellowship hall today? What happens in the fellowship hall? You know what happens in the fellowship hall. Potluck dinners happen in the fellowship hall. Can I get an amen for a potluck? Listen, the fellowship hall was as important of a part of the ministry of the church as the sanctuary was, and I'll tell you why. Because fellowship matters. Breaking bread together eating together, sharing not just moments of worship and instruction with one another, but sharing our lives with one another, being in a space where we can laugh about light things, where we can cry about heavy things, where we can go through it together. The church was built on this idea of fellowship. Fellowship was always meant to be a word that communicated something more than just being together. It meant being together completely, being with one another, breaking bread together, praying together. 
It says all, all, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Every single day they celebrated the wins. It's important for us to remember that God is still winning. Some days your life might feel like nothing but losing, but when we fellowship with one another, we can celebrate together the awe of the many signs and wonders that God is still performing today. The wins he's had in my life, the wins he's had in your lives. The early church understood how important it was for us to be together, celebrating wins together. Isn't God good? Yes, he is. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you about the victory I've seen, the victory I've been through. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They understood that community meant taking care of one another, meeting needs, seeing a need, and not just saying my thoughts and prayers are with your need, but saying let me see how I can meet that need. It says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. They weren't just going to talk about it, they were going to be about it. We want to fellowship together, eat food together, celebrate the wins of God together, meet each other's needs together. They sold property. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They worshiped every single day. Who's ready for seven day a week church at the gathering? We're introducing a 5 a.m. service every day. No, we're not. They sold property. I keep going back to that. Every day they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in each other's homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I noticed that it doesn't say the preacher was so good that God added to their numbers daily those who were. I'm offended by that. It wasn't the preacher. It was the message lived out. It was what victory looked like in person. It was when they started to really do life together, when they came along and had somewhere to be that they belonged, somewhere where, where they were home, somewhere where they were known, somewhere where they could celebrate fellowship, where they could break bread, where they could have needs met. This is what grows the church. If you need a winning season, do you need a winning season? Do you need somewhere to belong? you need somewhere where people won't leave you in a losing season? Do you need a place where you can find freedom and discover your purpose and make a difference? This is that place. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, brand new, been here the whole time, left and came back, you belong here. One of our core values is family is our culture. I don't know what kind of family you came from, but I can tell you what kind of family this is. We are not perfect. We get it wrong sometimes, but we love each other well. We stick by one another in the losing seasons. We celebrate alongside one another in the winning seasons. We celebrate victory every day together. And we welcome each other home. So if you're here today and it's your first time or you've been here a while, you've just been dipping your toes in the water, I want to encourage you today to go all in. Be a part of it. Live in victory. Do it in a community. Do it somewhere where you'll be seen and noticed, known. Today, we're doing baptisms after the third service. If you gave your life to Jesus today or any other day, but you haven't been baptized, that's your, your next step. Jesus says that's your first step. 
It says that 3,000 people were baptized that day. Baptism's important. You've got, oh, an hour and a half to go home and change and come back and get baptized. And then you've got to start to read your Bible and pray every day. I need you to read your Bible and pray every day. It sounds even better coming from the source than it does coming from my mouth. We've got resources to help you with that. I know it can be scary to start to give your whole life to Jesus all at once. It's intimidating. That's why we, we've got a place right outside these doors now. And there's a sign that says, what's my next step? And we want you to be able to ask that question and get an answer. We want there to be somebody looking you in the eyes saying, hey, I can tell you what your next step is. Tell me where you're at. I can help you figure that out. So we've got resources to help, help you learn how to pray. We have a book that's called a prayer guide and it literally just teaches you how to pray. We're just gonna assume we're starting at the bottom and we're gonna help you build it up. We, we're, we've got resources to help you learn who God is, how to hear from him. We've got resources to help you study his word. It's all right back there. And it starts with a conversation. Conversations are scary now, I know. I know. We, we see another person and we think, I gotta run and hide. I'm not supposed to, ah, don't talk to me. You know, and I know. It's time to start breaking those walls down again. Go start with a conversation in that what's next area. Because I believe it's time. It's time to get in a life group and commit to it. Make a friend. Do the work to build that friendship, to find freedom along the way. It's time to start giving, to trust God with your finances, to see what happens when you sow into the local church and we start to pour it into our communities together. It's time to be on the dream team. Come alongside us. Don't just watch. Be a part of it. See what we can do when we do it together. We got a place for you no matter who you are. Let us help you find it. You still belong here. The resurrection equals victory. We get to do this together. If you're in here this morning and you just came searching for anything, grasping at straws, hoping to find hope, hoping to find a win, it is available to you today. You don't have to do anything. I love the uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5 because it reminds us that Jesus died for us while we were dead. A dead person can't do anything for himself. I don't know if you've noticed that about dead people. They can't wake up on their own. They can't be made whole on their own. Only one person in all the universe has the power to say, wake up. To restore what's been lost. You don't need to do any work to get into a relationship with Jesus. Exactly as you are. All you have to do is say yes. He's done all the work for you. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you alive. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you victory. All you have to do is say yes. There's work to be done after the yes. This prayer isn't magical. It's kind of like a wedding vow. When I said my wedding vows to Rail, it was only the very beginning of our marriage. I had so much work to do in the days that followed, so much to learn, so much to, so much to understand, so much to work for that was worth the work. But there at that altar, I made a promise that I've kept. That's what this moment is for you. If you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus, every head bowed, every eye closed, let's just say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for every mistake that I've made. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own for so long. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for this opportunity at victory. I give myself to you, all that I am, forevermore. 
I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.